you, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black, it's our God. Jesus Christ has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. What's up, Profane Faith fam? How y'all doing out there in the podcast land? Hey, listen, y'all, I want to hop right into this conversation this week. Uh, I haven't had much time to just prep and do much stuff in terms of getting ready, but I wanted to get an episode out this week. And this week I was very fortunate to sit down with my good friend, Heather. Um, she's a pastor. She is a great progressive thinker. Uh, she is someone who I met a few years back uh, at a conference called Progressive Youth Ministry, which I'm sure some of my listeners here have been to. And um, she was just solid. I mean, we just hung out, had a lot of overlap. We're, uh, we're similar in age and just, you know, generationally, we're just like, all right, we're on the same page. Um, and uh, I had reached out to her, I don't know, a while back, and we finally got a chance to sit down and talk just faith, life, feminism, theology, progressivism, race, Black Lives Matter type of stuff, and just the current work that she's doing now. Um, you're going to love this interview. And again, I just wanted to get this thing out because, again, I want to put out weekly episodes, but I was just like, ooh, it's just been a week. And, um, you know, all kinds of just things just going on and just trying to get motivated to just to do just basic stuff. I'm just like, oh my gosh, the podcast is coming up. I got to make sure something's out there. So enjoy this conversation. Check out her work. Check out what she's doing um, and continue to listen uh, to the podcast weekly. And got some great episodes coming up. And uh, I promise in coming episodes, I'll, I'll have my stuff together a little bit better. In the meantime, enjoy this conversation. Take care, y'all. Stay safe. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Thank Look. black Jesus. Yeah, yes. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So anyways, um, I hit record. We're good to go. Okay. All right. Um, well, welcome to Profane Faith, Heather. It's been a long time. I'm glad to finally get you on here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So we met when 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 was that? Five years ago? Ooh, yeah. Was it then? I I had heard ruminations of you around the the progressive uh, the you know uh, grapevine, and I'd seen you at I don't I forget where I saw you at, but yes, we officially met. I think it was at. Uh, Youth? It was in Chicago. It was, in it Chica- was a progressive youth. Of, progressive, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. Over at Fourth Press and. Um, yeah, I was like, oh man, this is, this is awesome. So what, uh, I mean, you know, share with the audience, uh, members, what, what's been happening from birth to now? What's been going on with Reverend Doctor? It's about 50 years. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, I grew up in the church, Presbyterian USA in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, we had like a, 
was gorgeous, gorgeous building. I still have dreams about it. It's interesting. Like current, my current dreams are in my home church, what I call my home church, my church of origin and my, my uh, home of origin, like both in St. Louis. Anyway, so um, dying inner city church kind of like, bumped up against what you call the Del Mar Divide okay. um, in St. Louis. D- the Del Mar Divide is, uh, Del Mar is the street in St. Louis that pretty much divides the city racially. I mean, it is it is shocking to see. Um, and so this church was right up against Del Mar. Um, that kind of was in the this um, kind of dying inner city neighborhood, gorgeous homes, but just dying. Those beautiful homes were dying, um, and people were flocking out of the city and the and the and the historically gay neighborhood. Okay, so I know so like those two things are happening simultaneously next to each other. <laughs> so we had you know you know growing up in my church, and now I'm realizing how unique this was. But we had banners in the '80s that said, "Our church has AIDS." Whoa, you know, wow. we, yeah, because we were losing all of these gay men to um, the AIDS epidemic. It is, yeah. So, you know, so progressive Presbyterian, you know, tradition. So I kind of grew up that way, uh, you know, and as most uh, mainliners left the church for an exile time of period after high school. Um, and then I was a music major. So I, in, in getting my master's degree in Houston, I went to the university of Houston. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and I, you know, I sang at Temple Emmanuel on Friday nights in the camp choir and then, (laughs) and then at, uh, an Episcopalian church on Sundays. And that was my bread and butter. I mean, like that's how, I mean, besides waiting tables, that's how I made money. And I just loved what those two traditions kind of gave me at that time of my life. I would, you know, listen to the type of teaching the rabbi would do. Um, there is no such thing as a rhetorical question when a rabbi asks a question, <laughs> he expects she expects the congregation to answer, right? Yes, yes. There's, it's like it's it's not like the mainline tradition where a rhetorical question asked from the pulpit. You know, it's very much more like the black church. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> much more like you know a teaching moment. Yeah. Uh, what did you know? And what did Isaiah do? Or what did you know Abraham say? You know, right? It's almost like a testing kind of a quiz. You know, in the right. middle of, of a worship right. service. Right? Exactly. Um, and then I had like this Episcopalian experience in which, you know, um, very kind of, very kind of cold and, um, and mm. not, that, not that engaging, except for when you came forward for Eucharist and, uh-huh. and, that, and that was the time in which, you know, kneeling at, um, at uh, the 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 in the chancel there, and receiving you know that felt very very vulnerable and engaged you know so um, up until that point I was kind of you know <laughs> and then we'd go forward for communion and I was like what is this thing this mm-hmm. communion thing yeah because um, in the Presbyterian Church we 
you know, we'd have that once a month and it was past the tray kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Little tiny cups. And I'm like, you know, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> so that was my, that was, you know, and I was going to be a singer. I was going to go to New York and, and be a Broadway star and all that stuff and ended up heading out West to see what was happening with this boy that I met at a wedding okay. and we ended up getting married. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, we were together for almost 20 years. Um, and in that time, I got this little part time youth ministry gig at First Congregational Church in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and it that that experience really like really challenged my faith. I I grew as a Christian in that church. Okay. Um, I I. The first year was tough. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how, um, you know, how I was going to stay one week ahead of the kids, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, no, absolutely. I was like, I was like, what? I don't even know what this is. I right. didn't have a group growing up. Like, yeah. Dying inner city church, everybody was in it together. Like right. we were all doing the same things it, together. Yep. Yep. You know, um, there wasn't a youth group that was separate from the body. Um, and so I didn't know what that was. Um, and so I tried, I, I tried all the things that I could try. And um, after my first year, I went to the associate minister and I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't mm. have the skills. I don't have the background. I'm a mm. singer. I'm an artist. And he said, why don't you go on a retreat for discernment? And I said, Dis what is that word? Discernment. <laughs> yeah. Are you asking me to think about it? Cause I've thought about it. Right. You know, like, I've been thinking about it. And he goes, no, the, you know, discernment is a period of time in which you reflect and ask mm. God to guide you. I said, okay, whatever. I know what the answer is going to be. Um, and so I signed up for one of Mike Iaconelli's. Do you remember Mike Iaconelli? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike Iaconelli used to have big, huge yeah. special gatherings. Yeah. But then started these really small contemplative gatherings called Sabbath. And I remember that. He, yeah, you remember that? He had one um, out in Pennsylvania outside of where... Uh, I'm trying to remember what seminary that is out there. But um, anyway, so he he had one. Uh, he had a couple different ones. Anyway, so I went to a Sabbath um, uh, retreat uh, and he had us doing all kinds of things like walking labyrinths, doing Lexio Divina. I mean, I had never done <laughs> any of these things before. Yeah. Uh, Ignatio examine, you know, he had us doing all kinds of stuff. And one of the things he had us do was a dialogue with God. Ooh. And you take a piece of paper, okay. right? And you split it in half. And on one half is you and the other half is Jesus or God. And so, you know, yes, you start in your own lane, <laughs> in your own aisle, you kind of start writing and writing and writing and ask a question to God. And you just put your pencil on the other side and see what comes out. Like, what would the God figurehead say to you? And so I did this and I was really skeptical about it because I wasn't all that contemplative or spiritual at the time. I mean, I felt like I was, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> not this deep, you know, um, the, well, the well was not very deep. Um, and I asked God, you know, why, what would, why would, why would I give up my career for this boy? 
what mm. what am mm. I doing? Colorado. I was supposed to go to New York. I gave everything up. And here I am in the church. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. I put, I put the pen on the other side of the paper and um, I put the, my pen on the other side of the paper and a monarch butterfly landed on the tip of that pen and just like open. Get out of here. Like, what? Just wow. for, th- I mean, it might've been 30 seconds. It felt like five minutes, right? Like, and yeah. I just, I just felt, I felt that heat just kind of mm-hmm. going all the way through me. And I just started writing and writing and writing and writing wow. and writing. And it was nothing that I could have come up with. Like it was not, no kind of message I could have come up with to myself. Right. It was really the, the divine, sorry, I got to take my dog out. Cause it's pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's why I keep looking around. I got pets. You can't see them, but they're, they're scurrying around my feet right now. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just this moment of holy divine intervention that I can't even, like, every time I tell that story, I feel silly in telling it, you know? Like, I feel like it's not real or, like, I made that up or I'm interpreting an ordinary thing that happens to peop- everybody. And um, But I know it's real, you know? Yeah. I know, yeah. I know it's real with the capital R. I'm you with know? you. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, you know, after that, I was just like, I, I, don't, I, have, to, I have to get some interpretation on this. Yeah. Like, like I can't trust my own brain to figure out what just happened because that that message to me was something. And you know what? I I I can't find that. I kept it for years and it's lost. Really? Like that piece of paper. Wow. Yeah. That piece of paper. Like I have looked for it and looked for it over the years. Wow. Like I don't know where that thing went. Like it those messages are not meant to be written on gold (laughs) plaques, right? You know, I mean, those things are really meant to be, you know, orated. Yes, um, yes, yes. Throughout the time. So throughout time, um, you know, it's a shame that we wrote these stories down um, in in a Bible and then bound it (laughs) because the stories continue, right? Right, Um, right. So I came home from that retreat. I mean, I, I had other experiences with Mike. I mean, Mike for years was like, he was the one that looked at me and said, I think you should go to seminary. Um, huh. You know, Mike Iaconelli was really formational in my life. Um, but I, you know, I came home and I said, I, 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 I think I'm gonna do another year of this youth ministry thing. And I'm gonna spend the whole summer trying to catch up so like I couldn't get enough of scripture in the script. So scripture t- helped, you know, helped validate my experience. Yeah. I surrounded myself with other people to help me interpret this experience. Um, you know, I had to do my research on why, why this, this grace filled moment came to me at this time in yeah. this moment. Um, so I've been in the church for 20 years since, I mean, that was, approximately 21 years ago. Um, and doing, I did uh, my fair share of youth ministry for 16 years. Um, I went out to Ohio. I was associate minister there. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, kind of expanded some of my ministry to elder care, but mostly youth ministry, family ministry. 
Um, and then this gig came up a couple years ago in Colorado Springs, a senior minister position. I applied for it. I was like, I'm probably not going to get it. Um, and through a lot of discernment and just some beautiful times with that search committee, um, I received the call there and we moved here to Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, what is that? Maybe three years ago. Um, yeah, so three or so years ago, a little over three years ago, and um, and I was there for two years, and it was it was rough. It was rough. I was their first female uh, lead pastor, okay. so it's a historic church. Lots of you know pictures of old white men on the wall, and then there's me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know. Yep. Um, so their first female lead pastor, I was left a really heavy duty um, uh, financial deficit. Um, they hired a bunch of staff on a on some soft money on a, an endowment kind of um, money that ran out in my second year. Man. And I was supposed to fix it. And the only way I knew how to fix it was to re- to restructure um, the staff and the church was just totally, um, I don't know. They were resistant. They fought, they fought within themselves. That's the issue. I mean, they didn't really fight me. Um, they fought themselves. Um, and there was a huge power dynamic. This is the issue with the institutional church. Like, you know, when we overlay power and money and, you know, uh, image and exceptionalism, Mm -hmm. Um, it just, it, it, you know, it breaks, it breaks down. It has to break down at some point. They have to get, you know, really clear on who they want to be. But this was a church that had a status of O&A status, which is our United Church of Christ open and affirming status, uh, welcoming LGBTQ folks into the community. Um, and for 20 years, they had that status, but they didn't really do that work. Um, oh boy. And yeah, so I, my, one of my last Pride Sunday, well, my last Pride Sunday, I said, what's, what's the ONA 2.0? Because you've had 20 years to do this work and you haven't done it. Right, right. Just, just pat yourself on the back that you welcome people into the pews. Like that's not enough. Right. That's not enough. Not for Colorado Springs in the 21st century. So, um, so I was, I was a, a challenging presence for them. I challenged them spiritually, um, social justice wise. My last, my last sermon at that church was about a young man in Colorado Springs that was unarmed and shot by police. Oh, dear um, yeah. So, um, I, I'm very proud of that last sermon, but it really called to account what, um, I mean, it was the second. Sunday in, in, in Advent, which was our peace Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I said, there could be no peace until there's justice. Not at all. No, no, no peace until there's justice. Ooh. So we have to, work. we have to work. So that was an Advent sermon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the feel good sermon for Christmas. Right. Um, and then <laughs> the next week I was uh, asked to come to a separation agreement meeting Wow, just like that, huh? Yeah. Just like that, a separation agreement? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, there were several things that were happening. Obviously, there are power dynamics. People uh, were wanting to recall me, um, which does not happen in our denomination. We don't recall pastors that we call 
Um, I had uh, divorced publicly and then I came out privately. Um, and it was, that was a, I, I came out privately, meaning that um, it had nothing to do with my role as a pastor. Right. Um, it was my private life and it was going to come out eventually. It was just really new. And I didn't, I mean, how do you know how to come out? <laughs> Like, right? <laughs> Until you do it, right? Right. Um, you're a public figure. And how do you come out publicly um, without doing that pastoral work with that 80-year-old, you know, member who doesn't understand what just happened? She knew you as a married heterosexual woman, and now you're you're this gay divorced woman. Like, I, that pastoral aspect of of leadership was just yeah. really and that was a big concern for me because i love those older members like those members sure. were really important sure. to me yeah um and their stories and their experiences were really important to me but i i just wanted to do that with a much more of a caring touch whereas um the the, the baby boomer generation actually was the one that kind of pushed me so pushed me out of the church interesting so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a fascinating journey. I've had you know a whole year to kind of reflect on it, um, and just now I'm really doing the work of uh, trauma healing. I have spiritual yeah. trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not just that separation agreement. It's 20 years of me speaking truth to power and feeling that push of no, be quiet, little girl. You know, um, we're gonna send you back into the basement with the youth. And <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so that, so what, so what, so what can I do down there? I'm cre I was creating for 20 years in the basement of churches, creating a movement of people that don't wanna go to church because the truth isn't spoken in church. The truth is spoken in the streets. So, yeah. you know, so it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm just a, you know, I'm, I'm in a period, I'm a period of, of, of healing from spiritual trauma. We, you know, in our denomination, we talk a lot about um, clergy abuse, where clergy who have the power abuse parishioners. And I would like for us to start talking about the reverse, because we, um, as clergy, uh, we absorb a lot, a mm -hmm. lot of other people's trauma um, yeah. that is being projected on us, but also um, just the abusive things that I that I took for years and years and years. So I'm I'm doing some really interesting healing right now, um, and some discernment about what ministry looks like for me um, moving forward. So, wow, that's deep. I mean, I appreciate you sharing. That's wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I'd be curious. I mean, just you know, when you t when you think about it, because I mean, right. I mean, this last decade, I feel like, you know, there's been so much of a reckoning, right. Between yes. Trayvon Martin, of course, Mike Brown and, you know, Ferguson. And now, we, of course, we got the trial of um, uh, Brother Man, George Floyd. Yep. Um, right. And, you know, that kind of is on the, the, you know, and so we got all these kind of racial things. We finally got out Trump. But, you know, it's kind of like Biden's. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, we need to go that way. But 
I don't, you know, so I, where do you find yourself now in the era that, you know, we, we find all of ourselves in, right? It's the, it's, you know, we're a year into this pandemic. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know so, what I'm saying? I mean, we're creating, we're creating new variants of the COVID. So at least right. we're producing that. Yeah. So I think, um, we've had, we have a couple problems. I mean, a couple, <laughs> We've got a laundry list of problems, but um, one of the major, I think the core issues currently, uh, my sister, Dr. Reverend Stephanie Rose Spalding is um, mm. a professor at UCCS, but she's actually living in Chicago right now. She oh. um, has a commission called Truth and um, Conciliation. Right. Because there can be no, no truth and reconciliation if there was no nothing to reconcile. So she is trying to get um, people a part of this commission to really work on um, reparations um, mm-hmm. um, and the conciliation. We need right relationship with each other. Yeah. Um, across race, across religion, across you know lots of. Um, boundaries and and that kind of thing so she's doing some deep work um around that however with my own white colleagues friends family i'm asking this question of okay we're progressives right i mean that's that's the assumption right we have to have that baseline i can't i i mean there are moments where i'm just like i i can't um, spend time with conservatives at this time. Like, like that's not, that's not <laughs> where I can, I can, that's not where I can do my starting point right yeah. now. Yeah. My starting point right now is with progressives and the starting point is, um, okay, so we're progressives and we dream of a better world. What are we willing to give up? Hmm. What are we willing to give up? Because it is clear to me that, um, race and economic status are deeply linked. Um, You know, this concept of not enoughness in the land of abundance. I mean, one of the things that drives me insane is that there are children in this nation that go to bed hungry. That is outrageous to me. Um, That there are people that don't have health care. Like these things are outrageous to me. Um, and so, so what, what places of privilege are we willing to give up? You know, um, how are we willing to step behind and alongside versus in front of, um, so, I mean, those, those, those places of what am I willing to give up? It just that question of, of, uh, of, of reflection, you know, um, might be some truth in there, you know, might give us some, some pause. Yeah. <laughs> because in America, nothing, right? I don't want to give up anything. Well, right. I mean, we don't even want to give up, you know, the, the idea notion of putting on a mask. I mean, the right. Right. <laughs> we want to be at all. We don't want to be just, you know, disquieted and uncomfortable at all, at, at all, at all. Right. 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 So, yeah, I mean, these are the questions that um, I ask. The other thing that I think COVID has brought up, which is just an interesting thing, like none of us is doing well right now. Right, absolutely. None of us is our best self. You know, we are not our best selves right now. 
But what we're seeing and what is being revealed is also truth, right? So it's funny, we put on a mask and actually the actual masks of our personas, the fake thing that we put out there is actually being revealed. Yeah. That is a fascinating juxtaposition of putting on a mask, Mm -hmm. but then also like our truth, our true selves, our true nature, our the identity of America is being revealed. So, um, so those are that's I think a, a fascinating thing. To, I mean, you know, all I have is time to think about this kind of stuff. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> Which is a good thing, I think, because it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I it, it this pandemic at least you know, uh, it's revealing so much of. What people have been talking about for right decades, it's like, you know, we're, you know, married to our productivity and our self-worth is is derived from that. Right. And and the notion that bigger and better and that you're only as good as your last fill in the blank. Right. Right. Uh, You know, and so those concepts are now. You know, it's metal to metal now. There's no lubricant. <laughs> there's no, yep. there's, you know what I'm saying? And and yep. and we're we're at a place now where it's just like, okay, we see the the ravagings of a deteriorated healthcare system, right? You know, and the racial disparities that exist within that. Um, right. Along with the fact that, you know, we don't care for those who are most vulnerable. Yeah. I was talking with my partner, Emily, about that. You know, we were... But now that it's actually sunny in Chicago, you know, getting out and trying to get some some walks in. And we were talking about that. It's like, you know, she was like, you know, there we only care for those who are strong and and ableist, you know, and and are able to produce something. And then, OK, well, we'll, we'll invest in that. But those right. who are most vulnerable, um, it's like, eh, you know, you know, and that was Trump's thing. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like they got to take one for the team, the older folks. That's okay. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, and it, it caused, you oh. know, I mean, those of us who have lost jobs and can't find work, it does, it causes me to ask the question of what my worth is. Absolutely. So it's like, it's, it's not just, you know, I'm not worth much to other people, but like the question of like my, the core worth to God, you know, like, like I'm having, I'm wrestling with like, Talk about profane faith. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really having some words. You know, we, God and I are having words right now because, yes. I, you know, when you go to seminary and dedicate your life to the process of ordination, yes. and you yes. know, three hundred people lay hands on you, and you feel the weight and the burden of that call um, daily. It is you know, it is heartbreaking to no longer have it, you know? I mean, it's like, so I have to do some reframing of what call looks like and what ministry looks like. Um, And so, you know, one of my current, um, (laughs) I mean, like, you know, no one's going to hire me, fine. I'll make my own work, right? So I... So I, you know, one of my current passions is to create a social enterprise that really focuses on um, women on the margins, Um, especially women who have had, I mean, December of 2020, 100%, 100% of unemployment were women. Wow. So 
What does that say about women who are bowing down because their kids are at home, you know, virtually learning or they are caretaking for elders or, you know, we are just shouldering most of the work at home. Um, And as a result, there's no no economic freedom. Uh, There's no financial freedom or empowerment, you know, and if we do this long enough, um, women are not, are going to be pushed out of the workforce completely. So, um, I'm really wanting to create some more creative solutions to these, to these problems that COVID has kind of revealed in the sense that yes, family is very important in America. Like, like schools actually have an economic impact, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we have, we have almost this right uh, in America, everyone has a right to public education, not a right to ha- public health care, right? right? But public right. education. Why? Because it has an economic impact. We are capitalists, period. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, like I have friends who are complete socialists and they're like, we got to go that way. Mm-hmm. And then other friends who are complete capitalists. And I'm like, okay, what is the middle road? <laughs> What's the what's the Jesus way in between? Because I don't know if we can change the DNA of this country. That's uh, yeah. That's the truthiest truth yeah. I can find. Yeah, yeah. For, for the day, and I honestly think social enterprise might help. I agree. You know? I agree, and I've seen some great movements with variants of social enterprise. Right? It's like right. Uh, there's empowerment there, which we you know always talk a lot about, particularly with. Like you said, oh, you won't hire me? Well, let me go create my own thing, right? And it's just like, man, ethnic minority communities have had to do that for so long. I mean, that's how hip-hop got started, right? It's like, you know, nobody's going to sign us. Well, you know, it's like I always tell, you know, students when they, you know, take my class on hip-hop, I'm just like, you know, years before you heard the first record on, you know, the radio, hip-hop heads was doing their thing, right? They was, you know, pulling in 500, 1,500, 2,000 people at a party and stuff. And there was no... Big there was major. no market for it. None. There was no market for it. Nothing. Mm-mm. Nothing. It was just it was just some cats who said we need to make this happen. And the spirits yeah. were like we're going to we're going to help usher this thing out there. And so um I, I and I think that's it and and here's where I struggle is what because we're we we've and I've said this a lot and but I'll just say it again cuz we're having this great conversation. We've lost a baseline for truth. Yeah. Yes. We've lost definitions of words. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> like, like, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable. So I'm going to use a psychological term instead of saying I feel uncomfortable because you're calling me out on my racism. I'm going to say I'm feeling triggered right now. Yes, that's it. That's like, it. No, 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 no. You are not a victim of trauma because somebody called out your racism. Right. right. Like we need to reclaim the definition of words. Yes. But like the truth, the truth is part of that language mm-hmm. that I think is, um, yeah, I mean, manipulative, we can manipulate with language or we can serve with language. And for right now, what I, I, you know, I'm not a community, I'm not really a community organizer in that way of like, you know, raising up people to, to protest you. 
or whatever, but I'm a community connector. Yes. Oh, do you know so-and-so this person, you know, has interest in the thing that you have interest in. So I'm like more of a, of a connector to that. Um, and I have found like, like you just kind of lifted up in that hip hop history. Um, low income communities have many resources. They just don't have money. <laughs> right. Right. right? That's, right. They have tons of resources. Yeah. yeah. We just don't have money. They don't have capital. And then there are communities that are very wealthy who only have capital. That's all they have. So how do we connect these two communities, you know, in which everyone can be sustained? Yes. Especially our babies, especially children. Because when I look at the statistics of how many children live in poverty, that in this abundant cu- country, mm-hmm. I want to scream. That just does not sit well with me. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. And in, I mean, in, in again, I keep referencing Tupac but, or hip hop, but Tupac said it right. It's like you know, like in a country where you have people hitting the lotto for billions of dollars, and you've got these people who are billionaires, and we can send a Mars rover halfway across our solar system, right, That's and right. spend all this money. And you still have people that don't own pants, right? They don't, they don't have a shirt to put on their back. It's like, he's like, that's just, he's a, that's not even idealistic. That's just real. Like, this is just ridiculous. Like, yeah. And I'm not sure, like, I mean, so again, I'm not sure we can eradicate greed. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, this is as old as, as humanity, right? right? Jesus spoke about it all the time. Your tr- where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, like, to say we don't care about the poor is truth. That's truth. Our heart isn't in it. We don't care. We literally don't care. We're not going to put any energy resource there, right? Um, and I see it, you know, I see it all over this country, gentrification, moving, you know, people out of their neighborhoods so that we can have a brewery and some cool, you know, stuff happening. <laughs> and, you know, it's like restaurants yeah. and, you know, a bunch of loft apartments. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, people just lost their homes. Right. So I just I feel, you know, I feel a sense of urgency and yet. Um, and yeah, I, I gotta make money too. Right. (laughs) Right. I gotta gotta make a living and my living. And again, like my, my understanding of, of living is different than it was even three years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to, I want to do more with who I am in the world. Yeah. Um, and that to me is call it's public ministry. Um, and whether or not it'll be a success, I don't know what that even means anymore. <laughs> well, you know, and that, yes, that's real. That is real because, right, what we have defined as success, what we've defined as um, um, momentum forward or movement forward, I think, you know, and these these are some of the things that I, I talk about, right? It's like, you know, we, we've all embraced, like you said, the capitalist idea but that's also rooted right in white supremacy, right? It's like, you know, we had to be bigger and better. We have to be perfect at everything we do. I mean, part of my goal in classes is to actually deliberately make students fail, right? Because I feel like particularly this new generation wants to do things 
ever so right. I want to say the right things to you. I want to write the right paper. Um, you know, and I want to get A's on everything. And I'm just like, I, I'm not sure learning is really happening in that. You're just trying to do something like what's the next what's the next thing for the the hamster to do? And I'm just like, no, 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 no. We, we're here to learn. Like I had right. a, a group the other day that was, um, <laughs> they were doing cultural presentations and uh, this group uh, of, uh, of students, they presented on African culture. And, mm. you know, they went in to just list all the stereotypes of Africa, <laughs> right? Um, so the was the whole <laughs> continent, right? The whole continent. <laughs> The whole damn thing. Okay. The whole right. damn thing is this. And so I allowed it. And there were, you know, I have some, some I allowed it. <laughs> because it was a train wreck. I knew it was a train wreck 30 seconds into it. Yeah. And students are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. But we ended up having a really I tried to frame it in such a way because I was just like, all right, this 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 was bad. This was this was not the assignment. But we need to have a conversation around this. And I don't want anybody to feel guilty. I get that I can't control your emotions or feelings, but that's not what this is about. We're here to learn. And so we took the next two class periods to debrief the the yeah. fuckery that that came out of all of that. Um, and I, and I know well, that. You know what fail is an acronym for? Come on. First attempt in learning. So those young people had a first attempt in learning and they learned something way bigger than stereotypes of Africans. Right. 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 Thank God they did that with you. Right. Well, right. And in the classroom, like this is like, can you That's imagine right. doing that shit out in public somewhere where people are going to tweet it and drag you all on me? Cause I don't, cause that's the other side of it. Right. It's just like, I don't think, any learning happens in and out of that. Like, yes, let's, let's expose some Nazis. Like, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to be talking about they're running for office and they're queuing on this and queuing on that. Um, oh, but, they're fear, fearless. They're, they're exposing themselves. So, right. Right. You know. And then have the nerve. Expose them anymore. Oh, and then have the nerve to blame Antifa that it was Antifa who raided the Capitol. <laughs> Like, you gonna, that's what you're going to say? That's your excuse? It was Antifa, right. huh? Okay. Um, well, let me ask this, Heather, because, I, again, I've I've appreciated you, and I think from the time that I met you, I was like, okay, here is a strong and fierce woman, um, and you obviously have had a calling, but I, but I and, and I feel like that's very similar to where when I got fired from Young Life, and it was just that. It was, like, just a firing, like... <laughs> it's like we're done um and it was it was a sense of for me i'll speak for myself it was a sense of loss of identity because i had the youth pastor title for a long time youth worker there was a sense of <sighs> building up like oh every time i went somewhere people knew me as this person and i was the funny guy and upfront. um how have you wrestled with some of that stuff if you've experienced that or your own version of what that looks like? Because I don't. And here's the thing. It's like I, I'm very critical of religion, but it's like I haven't. I'll use evangelical language, lost my faith. I, it's right. it's just gotten right. into a place where it's much more mature. Right. <laughs> right. So. So I, I appreciate that um, in some in some ways, I think, you know, especially 
in, in youth ministry, especially, um, and in the evangelical world, totally, uh, black men can be tokenized, right? Yeah. yeah. As being like, look at our funny black man that we have with the youth. Like, right. You know, so, <laughs> and so it is, it's, it's heartbreaking to have the popularity of a thing be held up by the token. So, you know, it's like, we have our first, we have our um, first female lead pastor in the downtown yeah, right, area of right. Colorado Springs, right? Right. right. You know, on our, on our, um, on our Good Friday service, all these different pastors preach. And then there's me, right? The only female voice wow. that whole day. Right. Um, and so like the token is kind of lifted up and then there's pride. Look at us. We have this thing, right? So then to be fired for that very thing that you <laughs> wrote with us. Right. Like I, I told you who I was. Like I, you know, I let you know. Um, I never, I never feigned to be anything else. Um, it just, it just became a financial problem mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Don- when donors are uncomfortable, they threaten to take their funds. Um, even though this is the prophetic way, you know, we had, you know, so I have, so that piece of identity is really challenging because, um, I didn't act like anybody else. Like I was myself Mm -hmm. and I was beloved in Ohio. Like, I mean, they, you know, people in Ohio, and I'm not sure if this happens in Illinois too, but Midwestern uh, church folks, they, they bake you bread. (laughs) They bring you kale from their garden. Right, right. They, They think of their pastors. Yeah vacation and bring you things from their vacations to mm-hmm. Europe, Florida, wherever they went. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like they think of us. I would walk into the church on Sunday morning and they would say, good morning, reverend. The kind of reverence around the office of ordination was just a high, very high. And then I go to out to the West where Jesus barely made it past the Mississippi, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus barely made it past Kansas. Right. <laughs> and, um, and it's totally different. There's an irreverence around the office. So, you know, I, 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 I had to constantly wear my collar to remind people that I was called into this position and that mm. God called me and not, I mean, they called me, yes, but the Holy Spirit ordained me first. Um, and so that piece of identity is really, uh, you know, a, a, a challenge for me right now. Do I get to wear a collar if I don't have a flock? Right. Um, I know people do it um, out on this, you know, for, for ministry, but um, that, that represents an office of leadership. And if I'm not leading anyone, do I get to wear that? So, I mean, these are things that I'm kind of grappling with. I know I'm still called. I know God is calling me to something. I'm, you know, the gifts and graces and shadows that I've been given in my, in my life um, have led me to something that I don't know exactly what yet. Um, And it, and I'm not sure I can squeeze myself back into the church. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the Mm -hmm. transformation that has happened within this last year, even of how I have basically been able to be 
I mean, there was definitely a grieving period. Every once in a while, I still grieve. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, the the bigness that I've been able to feel comfortable with. Um, and, you know, it's like, I don't think, I don't think sabbaticals are worth anything um, unless you have a lot of time, a yes. lot of time. It yeah. just takes time. It does. It takes time to get back into your body, into your head, into your heart, and just be okay being who you are. Right. You know, so I've been writing a little bit. I've been doing some really good work around that that identity piece. Um, and it it has not hurt that the world shut down as well because mm-hmm. there is an expectation of faithful Christians that they go to church. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Since <laughs> churches are closed. Woo! Exactly. I don't have to go. I can, I can heal myself. Right. I've had that time to, to heal my broken heart because the church broke me. They, they broke my heart. Absolutely. Um, It's like an unrequited love, right? Like I want, why won't you love me back kind Mm -hmm. of thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And I know individuals loved me. I know that's true, but there was a system where I couldn't fit into. um, Right. And the system is is power and money, and I just can't fit into that kind of system. Um, yeah. So what does that mean? Uh, so that's the piece that I'm like working on next, and um, I get excited about it. But I'm also not twenty and foolish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm excited about a social enterprise, but I didn't go to business school. I went to Jesus school. And um, <laughs> so I get I get nervous about it. And all the pragmatic people in my life are going, yeah, how are you going to make money? And I, I don't know, like my whole life, God has provided. How can I how can I doubt that? You know? Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and that's and that's powerful, right? I mean, I think that that's in the U.S. I don't think we know enough about, right? Just the simplest form of faith, right? Faith, you know, is the belief in the unseen. I mean, because we we want the security. I'm, and I'll speak for myself. I know that's for me. I want to know, okay, if I take this adventure, yes, I can say it's faith, and I can get up on the pulpit and say some really nice things. But I want to know there's some security in that. Right. And the older right. we get, right? It's just like, shoot, yeah. I'm pushing 50 myself. It's just like, the older you get, you're like, wait a minute, is, is we got to have health care? Because, shoot, I can right. mow the lawn and my joints is hurting like a mom. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? We're going to have some, some right. retirement shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I can't make no introductory salary. Like, I, you know, like, there are these things that we've set up. It's like I tell folks, look, I didn't come to my current employer to volunteer. Right. I didn't pick right. up and move across the country just to come here and volunteer. Somebody has to pay for this microphone, this computer, the airwaves that we are going over right now. That has to get paid for. Right. <laughs> and so part of that is, is you know, um, asking for what we're worth. Yeah. Right. And um, in this in this current atmosphere of um, of online everything. Right. deciding what is free and what people have to pay for. And right. I'm encouraging, you know, friends of mine who are writers and whatnot. And, okay. Can, can you get that Patreon, you know, uh, account set up? Because 
you, you can't be given all this writing away for free, you know? So, I mean, that that's the discernment, you know, especially among, among um, black artists and black writers and black speakers. Um, everybody wants a black person on their diversity panel. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. We want to your brain, Dan. Right, right exactly. Right? exactly. And so the response being, we'll pick your payment. Um, you know, you can pick my brain, sure, but this is not work for black folks to solve. You know, this is this. I mean, yes, um, we can show up for the for the panel, but pick your payment for me to be there because I have I have worth at the table. Right. Right. You know, um, otherwise, yeah, I mean, yeah. otherwise, we're just, you know, we're lowering our our worth. Um, exactly. It's really hard. It's really hard to negotiate um, contracts that way. I know. Like, you know, I know. Trying to figure out what I'm worth. I know. Uh, and yep. All of that. You know, and I, you know, I, I, I aimed high with my, my former church because I don't believe in merit based raises for pastors. Mm. So I aim high saying, this is what I'm going to retire with. Right. So because I, I don't expect a raise for the tenure that I'll be there. Um, so I know I negotiate pretty high to begin with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. See, and, and again, it's a different way of of understanding. Right. Because it's it's finances are real. They're ever present and they're not going yeah. away, at least not in this society. <laughs> right. Um, right. And so, you know, and I always find that it's like when I was hiring a new assistant when I was still director of the youth center and stuff. And I remember HR telling me like, well, offer them this, but you can go as high as this. And so I was like, well, F that I'm, I'm going, right. I'm, I'm just going to start at that, that, that number. <laughs> right? Right. Right. Um, Cause I'm like, it, it feels like there's always this dance, you know, with yeah. when money gets involved. Right. It's like, I always tell folks like, man, once money is involved, it's a completely different conversation. It's like seeing somebody naked. It's like you can't just unsee that. It's just like, okay, we got to have a different conversation. So I don't know. And I made the mistake of of knowing my predecessor and what he made. Oh, see. Yeah. (laughs) And when they offered me twenty thousand dollars less, I said, no, thank you. I will take what he had um, because, again, I don't believe in merit-based raises for for pastors. And I have to fight for the salaries of my staff. That's right. my job. If I'm right. fighting for my own salary, I'm not going to be fighting for theirs. So, you know, I have to be okay with where I am and say I'm proud of myself that I negotiated this high because now I can really fight for others. Exactly. Um, and relax about my own self. Whew. Um, yeah. That's deep. I like that. I like that. Um, well, let me ask you this. I know our, our time may be nigh here. I want to respect your time. But I did. I definitely wanted to ask and feel free to, to be like, nah, I don't want to share that. And I can edit all this this out it's it's all good but i mean how i yeah coming out i mean what was well how did how did that go i mean was it something i mean how did you know that process i'd I'd be curious i've asked others on the show about you know their process and 
um, and whatnot. And again, if it's too much, because I because I also have a set of questions in my class when I teach on, on on these things like asking heterosexuals, like when did you first know you were heterosexual, and you you're know, right, can you right. just uh, you know stop your heterosexuality? I think it's a phase you're going through, and. You know, do you do you have to like make laws change to be married? Like, why can't you yeah, just have no. a common union? So, <laughs> it's, and students are always blown away. They're like, "Wait, what do you mean?" Like, exactly. So, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to puppeteer it. Right. Uh, I'm just. I'm just genuinely asking, just as a friend. Yeah, yeah. So, um, my my husband. Yeah, you. <laughs> I've never heard that before. You're what? Okay. So my husband um, is one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, he is an incredible father. He was an incredible husband. Mm. Um, we had, a, I thought we had a very healthy, good marriage. Um, and I don't want to say how everybody comes out, you know, but I was, I had I had babies, <laughs> I had babies all, you know, kind of like one on the hip, you know, one on the nip, right? I had my babies way too close in age, you know? Um, and so, so I, you know, my body was just doing all kinds of loopy things. And, you know, we had years in which we were just like, stressed. So when that kind of thing calmed down, we were able to have more conversation about what the next 10 years of our marriage were going to look like. We got ourselves into counseling because I was just, you know, really struggling. I was struggling with my identity, really mm -hmm. was. Um, I would say if I were uh, 20, maybe even 30 years younger, <laughs> That I was pansexual, but a 49 year old woman cannot get away with that. So, like, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I'm too old. I'm, I'm too old for that shit, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, for our generation, I'll just, I'll just throw out that I'm, I'm bisexual. But, you know, so I, I loved having sex with men. I loved having sex with my husband. Um, me too, the me too thing really caused me some some pause. Hmm. Some old trauma came up that I had to really go into therapy about yeah. um, and really wrestle with. Um, and that was part of this, you know, emerging identity shift, all of that. So my, my husband and I were doing this work well before... Um, well before we got divorced and parted ways and I came out to other people. Um, so we were doing all this, this work and conversations. Um, however, uh, not as blatantly as we probably should have. Um, and what do you do when you are a public figure or a leader of a church? Yeah. And these are the conversations you're having, you know, right. this was really private, tender, intimate stuff. Um, and, and I don't want to say, you know, you know, sexual trauma made me gay or any of that. Of course. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, it's so layered and complex. And, um, and I just read an article, <laughs> just read an article about how women in midlife come out. Like that's a separate category of coming out. Um, and, uh, it's like, you know, you have your young people who come out and then these middle, mid, middle aged women that are coming out in droves because we don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> 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 it literally says it in this article. 
article and I'm like, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Like there is a certain thing that happens in midlife that you just, your bullshit meter is just it's true. Full. Yes. It's like, yes. you can't, you can't do any more of that. Um, my therapist said, you know, it's like holding a ball under in in the pool, like if you're in the pool, it's like holding, <laughs> yes. holding the beach ball That's under good. the water, your arm is going to get tired. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and then it just, and the longer you hold it, the more splash and, you know, physics will happen. Right. So I kind of, you know, I, it was, it, it was a process and I, it was a, it was a, a thing that like, as a progressive, it's like, you know, I shouldn't have any shame about this. I don't, mm. I didn't have any shame about it. I don't have any shame about it. And yet being a pastor is a different, it just puts a different spin on things. Right. Um, right. And so I, I was picking and choosing one of my mistakes I'd say was I was picking and choosing certain people within the congregation to slowly let this thing leak out. But I was leaking it, right? It wasn't like I mean, some people were outing me, yes, but like in a in a vindictive kind of way. Um, but I was allowing it to leak out by telling people one on one because that was really important to me that I was I was having relationships with people that I could say this is a this is a sacred trust that I'm giving to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a spiritual trust, uh, that, that, um, that now you have to deal with tenderly, like it's a gift. Um, and if they wanted to just, you know, out me all over town, then that's their choice. But I gave it, I, I was the one who gave it to them. Mistake, not a mistake. I don't know. But again, like how does a person know how to come out if you've never done it before? Right. Right. <laughs> So, um, but that was one of, I think that was one of the mistakes I often said, I mean, I said, you know, I'm, I called actually a couple of the power lesbians in the, in the church <laughs> to ask them. <laughs> the power you know, this week I'm thinking about coming out from the pulpit. Oh no, 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 don't do that. It's not safe. Then I called another uh, lesbian pastor in town and said, have you ever had to come out from the pulpit? And she said, yeah, I just wouldn't do that. Wow. Said, okay. How do you, how do you come out to your congregation? Yeah. Right? Do you write it in a letter? Do you, I mean, like, so, I mean, there's no book about this. There's no, no. Um, there's no, no map for this stuff. Um, Zondervan doesn't publish that. That, uh, right. that. <laughs> <laughs> No, they definitely do not. Oh my God. So, um, yeah. So I, you know, there, it's tricky. It's tricky. Uh, minefield, you know, I came out to maybe one or two of the wrong people that got into the wrong hands. I wanted to have power over that narrative, um, but they used it against me. Um, wow. so I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in that True. way, yeah, you know, you right. just don't. I, I knew that this person, this, you know, a couple of particular people were powerful in the congregation. So I thought, you know what, I'll come out to them, hand them my narrative. Um, uh, because that was really, it was, it's important to tell your own story, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, and to do it with powerful people, I thought that, you know, that'll get that, that will be the narrative that gets out. And yeah. they twisted it in a weird way that didn't work out for <sighs> me. But. I know. I know. So, you know, I, here's, here's, here's the end, right? Not the end, but 
Here's the middle. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm, I'm not dead yet. Um, That's right. That's right. <laughs> here's the middle of the story. And that is um, my girlfriend lives with me. We're happy. We're creating a new family. My kids love her. Um, she's a therapist in town that works with um, kids uh, in a, in a uh, uh, psychiatric hospital. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it's life is good. Life is good with yeah. that area of my life. Life is so good. Um, and she's she was a youth pastor, you know, um, and so she gets the church <laughs> dynamic. Uh, and so we, you know, we just had the conversation the other night, like, where do people go to church? Like, how do you engage in church right now? Right? Right. Um, and as a lesbian couple and so, you know, Currently, I, you know, the whole concept of identity, um, my therapist said, do you really have to label it? And I said, no, but I do have to help other people understand what's happening. Right. And so, like, I think that's the responsibility of the, of a leader, you know, is to help other people grapple with what's happening. Um, yeah. I believe, I believe sexual orientation and, and gender are fluid for some of us. Um, yeah. You know, and, um, and in midlife, I don't give a fuck. That's right. That's right. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. A fucking man. The runway is shorter at this part of life. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That. Well, I, and, and thank you. I mean, sharing you, you definitely don't have to because it's like that's such a tender part of life and like you said at the beginning it's like you know these are personal aspects of that and I feel like in churches and really in Christian settings it's like these are some of the problems that I've even had you know working at a Christian institution I'm not even a pastor but there is this pound of flesh that people want from you, right? And being these Christian city settings. And, and it's almost like there's a, well, it's not almost, there is a prescribed way of living as a Christian. You should right. never talk like this. Christians mm -hmm. don't say that. I mean, you know, right? It's, you know, stupid shit like that. But it gets translated into, well, how can we affect you? Well, we can fire you. We can cut right. your, your means of living. And I think, man, how vile and nefarious is that? Right. Well, and also, isn't isn't the whole purpose of the Christian journey to um, to understand humanity? Right. <laughs> Our right. humanity. And right. so, to be a socially self possessed pastor, female pastor of a historic downtown church, not acceptable. That's the message I received. Absolutely. Right? Yes. I, you know, so besides that, that I'm also working for black lives. It's, it's funny because I, I, um, I was asked by someone to put a black lives matter banner on our church. And I said, I can't do that kind of false advertising. We have to do work. <laughs> there you go. Cause we were in the midst of some, go white privilege uh, curriculum from our denomination. We yeah. had several classes going on. I mean, we were doing some heavy duty work on white privilege. I said that that banner sends a message that black folks can come in here and feel safe. And I, I'm not sure that's true. So as as I left the, the church, the interim pastor put a Black Lives Matter banner on there. So I guess they're going to live into that truth. I don't know what that is. Uh. All right. 
We're leaning <laughs> in, so to speak. But I was yeah. like, I hope you get better. I mean, you know, white men can do whatever they want. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and fail as many times as they want and figure yeah. shit out. And Yeah. And I'm trying to do the real work right. inside the church so that, right. so that you can actually live live that way. Right. So that it's actually safe. You know, but yep. I, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, this, the tr- spiritual transformation, um, it usually it usually comes with pain, you know. And so, I mean, I ha- I hate to say it. It's like the cross changes us. Yes. 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 But most people in the church don't want to hurt or be in pain in their spiritual journey. They want to be comforted in their spiritual journey because the rest of our life is so much pain. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, it's like, no, it's all one. The whole thing is one thing. It's all one thing. So like when you're sexually self-possessed, you are spiritually self-possessed, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's all it's all one thing. These bodies are are here for a reason to teach our soul something. These containers, you know, are growing our souls, you know. And and the church should be the laboratory for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the laboratory for forgiveness and grace extended over and over and over again. Um, right. Not for judgment and measurement of righteousness. <laughs> Right. I I like that. Yes. Judgment and measurement of righteousness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Comparison and all the things. Right. It it should be a hospital of wellness. It should be a wellness center. We make people well here. Yes. With love and acceptance and grace and forgiveness and and I think they were that for a lot of people. It just, you know, we they accepted gay people in the pews, just not in the pulpit. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yet. But here's the thing, you know, I'm t- I'm terrified for Kamala. I'm terrified for Kamala. Absolutely. But it always takes a first. It always takes a first. So I was a first. I only lasted two years, but they had the experience and it's in the history books now. There it is. Yeah. Well, I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you just sharing and what's been going on in your life. Um, this has been great. Um, dare, dare I ask, where can folks find you? You know, maybe there's somebody listening right now who's like, you know, I got to get Heather out. I'm going to put her on a stipend, you know, of, of six <laughs> figures. And, you know, she's going to retire with that. And, you know, so wow, yeah. that's amazing. You know, yeah, dream. let's just call that into existence. <laughs> Right. So I, you know, I'm on Instagram, H Hagenduff. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Heather Hagenduff. Um, but I'm starting a new venture called Project Rahab, uh, a project for women who are on the edge of society. Uh, Rahab lived quite literally in the walls of Jericho and became um, the, the hero of the Jewish tradition. So I'm looking um, at starting that for women, along with a social enterprise called Creations at the Edge. Um, and Creations at the Edge is the social enterprise that will help support Project Rahab. So. That's what's up. 
That's yep, what's that's up. What's up. Yep. And so Creations will be um, opening hopefully in June. It's uh, maker's space uh, for people to get creative in. And we will also sell uh, maker's kits, craft kits, um, and people can order subscriptions too. That's great. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, well, I'll put all these in the show notes as well for folks. Okay. Um, thank you so much. And please check out um, Dr. Reverend Stephanie Rose Spalding. And her project is Truth and Conciliation Commission. Um, and she's she's doing some really great work um, to repair the, the racial disparities as well as the racial um, just separation and worthiness that we all have as God's beloveds. So she's she's a prophetic witness and pastor and preacher. And she's my good friend. I love it. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. I'll put those in there as well. Thanks again, Heather. Appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. 